0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We are in a series on 1 Peter. We're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter number 1. Uh, verse number twenty-two. Now, if you don't mind standing again, this is just honor to the word of the Lord, and it's biblical. It's biblical. You can find it in the you can find it in the book of Ezra that they stood while the word of the Lord was being read. Again, nothing concerning the man, but all in honor to the word of the Lord. First Peter twenty-two. The Bible states these words. First Peter one and verse twenty-two. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto the love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Tonight, and we will delve over hopefully into the next chapter. But tonight, I want to talk to you about obedience to the word. Obedience to the word. If you can raise your voices right now, let's pray that heaven would help us. The Lord would help us in the next few moments. Father, I love you this evening. God, we need you, Lord Jesus, in this place. God, open up our minds, God, and our understanding. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, every individual, Lord, setting of the sound of my voice, God, as we turn our attention, God, to your word once again, let that word of God, Lord Jesus, find an abiding place, Lord, in our hearts, God, and in, in our souls. God, I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, anoint us, Lord, afresh and anew. God, I know, God, that you're able to help us, Lord Jesus, as we look at the scriptures. God, for in them our life, Lord, the word says, God, and we need life, Lord Jesus, for our lives. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen and amen. The church say, amen. You may be seated this evening. So here we are, Wednesday night Bible class series on 1 Peter. Something that you're going to find out, particularly in 1 Peter, and you should really find this in. Any, any book of the Bible and the Bible itself, and that is this. It's evident in this study, though, particularly, I think it's prominent, that each verse that we look at in whatever chapter it may be is ultimately connected to other verses within this book. And uh, it's like there are just certain truths that are being spoken over and over again. It's almost like being braided like hair, you know, back and forth. And so they're touched on over and over again, and they build upon one another. And that's the important thing about the Bible. If you really look at the Bible from beginning to end, uh, the Bible is not just 66 individual books. It is a book in and of itself. And so there's stuff that's in Genesis that can find uh, its place and application, even in the book of Revelation. And it's all the time tying together and braiding and building upon each other all throughout the Bible. And so that's one reason why we say uh, you're not going to build... Uh, your salvation experience or your doctrine in life and what you believe just on one verse because it it, it, it leans on all kinds of other verses as well uh, to bring us to where we are. For as a matter of fact, in verse number seven, if you'll recall that, of uh, 1 Peter in verse number seven, remember how Peter was talking how the people were going to go through a time of a trial of their faith, a trial of their faith, and he likened that then the trial of our faith to gold that's being tried in a fire, and we know we know uh, that one of the outcomes of gold being tried in the fire is its is its purity, is its purity. It helps bring all the impurifications to the top, and the person that works that can draw those impurities off the top, and so it going through the fire can help its purity. And yet here in just the verses of Scripture that I read to you to get started tonight, verse number 22, namely, it tells us that these people that were from all these different cities and areas of Cappadocia, Galatia, so on and so forth, that all these people that he called pilgrims, because they had their new birth relationship in Christ, and it set them at odds then with the world in which they lived, that these people, he said, seeing ye have purified, seeing ye have purified your souls. And so there's something important in that. Since Peter said, See, seeing, that you can pur- seeing that you have purified your souls, or s- seeing the purity of your souls, if you will, that tells us something about purified souls, and that is this, that there is visible evidence... Of a purified soul. You see, well, no one can see within the soul of a person per se, you know, but we can because sin ye purified your souls. there is visible evidence of a purified soul. And one of the ways that he makes mention in our verses of scripture that that is visible, that a purified soul is visible is because someone with a purified soul then will Show love to the brethren. That's what he says in verse 22. You will show love to the brethren. And so with that being said, us showing love to one another, the brethren is, of course, the household of faith, although our circle of love is to go beyond that. But having love toward one another, there are two basic reasons why we would have that love or why we would show that love to one another. Number one, we'll look at it here in the scripture. We have purified ourselves in obeying The truth, the scripture says. So number one, we've been set apart by our obedience to the truth and through the faith, and so we love our brethren. But also, what we've already discovered in this chapter, he's speaking to people that have been born again. They've had a new birth experience. And with that being said, since they've been born again, when you are born again, you get another nature. Another nature than what you formerly had. You get the nature of God. Living inside of you, who, the Bible says, is love. So the very basis of the nature of God is love. So it makes sense that you would love one another. Number one, it says because we were obedient to the truth, but also because we were born again, and the nature of God is love. And so we should be loving people. The Bible says in First John chapter number three and verse 14, it states these words: "We know that we have passed from death unto life. Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. We know we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. In other places in Scripture throughout the New Testament, it says that you and I were dead in our sins. Dead in our sins. But when you are born again, when you have the new birth and you are born again, you pass from being dead into your, dead in your sins to life, new life. So a visible, visible evidence of that transformation, that purity of the soul that verse 22 speaks about, is that now we have a pure, it says, fervent love for the brethren. And that's known because we pass from death, dead in our sins, unto life, being born again. The Bible says in Matthew 12 and verse 13, and I got this, I don't know if I will use this, I got this out there, just just in case there's visual learners and we need to do something for you, okay? If so, just nod at me and we'll take care of it. Uh, But nevertheless, Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 33, the Bible states these words. He says, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his True, you've heard that probably oftentimes in your Christian experience. But the real principal truth that is relayed in just a solitary verse is this. The condition of the tree affects the condition of the fruit. The condition of the tree affects the condition of the fruit. Good fruit comes from good tree. <laughs> corrupt fruit comes from corrupt tree. So much so then that the evidence, the visible evidence of the fruit testifies, gives witness to the condition of the tree. And so Peter says, seeing ye have purified your souls, there's some type of evidences there of the condition of the soul that's bore out. If I can say it like this, The condition of the soul is seen in the conduct of the person. Visible as evidence. Love, mind you. The love of the brethren would be the conduct. That visible evidence reemphasized that the character then was a purified soul. But with this, with this tonight, just working our way through, there is a joint cooperation because he says, seeing ye have purified your souls as though this is something that Sharon Roberts did. Sharon Roberts purified her own soul. He said, seeing ye have purified your souls, he says, in obeying the truth. And so there is a real cooperation for the purity of the soul that there's a cooperation of heaven and earth. There's Sister Roberts' cooperation along with God. She's working with God. She's not working against God. She's working in tandem with God. She's purified her soul. How? By obeying the truth through the Spirit. Someone say amen. So how do we obey the truth initially? How do we obey the truth initially through the Spirit? Well, I think each of us might be able to remember the day when the Lord came down and we felt His Spirit move upon us before we ever had His Spirit living inside of us. You, you start, man, I, I just feel something. There's that compelling, if you will, to do something about where you are and how you've been living. And that is the work of the Spirit upon us. Uh, some people, I'll call it conviction. That's a conviction, a compelling to do something about where you are in life. John 6 even tells us that no man can come unto me, Jesus said. No man can come unto me except the Father, who we know according to John 4 is Spirit except the Father which hath sent me draw him. In other words, no one's going to come to the Lord if it's not for the drawing of the Spirit upon them. But whenever that Spirit draws, we have a choice. We follow the leading of the Spirit, or we are obedient to the drawing of the Spirit, or we reject the drawing of the Spirit. And so first and foremost, you are obedient to the truth the moment that the Spirit of truth began to move upon you. You didn't know anything about God. You were dead in your sins. You, you, you were separated from God because of your transgressions and iniquities. But he came down in the spirit of truth just, you felt his touch. And it, it might even felt almost literal that it was kind of pooling you somewhere. And when you were obedient to its tug, when you are obedient to its tug, honey, I want you to know that there was already something that started that was going to, the end result was going to be a purified soul as long as you followed it. And so it tugs upon you. And the Bible even tells us we talk about obedience or be obedience to the truth. The Bible says in Acts 5, and we do have this on the screen. Acts 5 and verse 32 in the book of Acts, it says, And we are his witnesses of these things. Look at this last phrase. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey Him. Amen. That's important. If the Holy Ghost. It's not just going to walk in and slap you upside the face. The Holy Ghost is not just going to enter into your person against your will. The Holy Ghost, through obedience, of repentance, surrendering ourselves to God through obedience, it's going to move in. And then that spirit, that holy, separate, sanctified Holy Spirit that you receive starts to make them the vessel that it goes into holy and purified. Yes, and so that's the awesome thing then about being obedient to the truth. It's that initial tug, but then it, that truth gets in you. Uh-huh. We used to say that it's, it's, it's on the inside working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Amen. Hallelujah. So that truth gets inside of you. So he says, you've seen you purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit. What spirit? The spirit that you have received. Now, remember... The, the, the first couple of verses of this chapter, whenever we read them, we learned something very quickly. We learned that the church, which was called the elect, the church that was foreknown, amen, foreknown, and uh, from the foundation of the world, God had this mindset of there being a church an institution, if you will, an organism called the church, that that church would be sanctified or set apart by the Spirit, the Bible says. We would be made holy, separate, and sanctified by the Spirit. We would be made separate from our surroundings and our world. And so the way that the Spirit is sanctified is, again, on two levels. The initial infilling of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, whatever wish you wish to call it, same thing. That initial infilling of the Holy Ghost, all right, that happens. But also, here's the other one. This is a big one for us. As we daily continue to yield... To the leading of that spirit. Seeing you have purified yourselves. In obeying the truth through the spirit. That's not just when you receive the Holy Ghost. Brother Terry. It is that. But it's also every day that you live. In obedience to the Holy Ghost you received. He says I'm seeing something. I'm seeing something. And we all see something. When someone receives the baptism. Of the Holy Ghost to some degree. You see something. But I like to see something 10 days from that point of time. Amen. A purification of the soul. And so the character affects the conduct. There is something to be witnessed, something to be seen. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 14, For as many are led by the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. That's what it's speaking about. They are the, what? Ooh. There's that little sunny thing there again. Remember last week? Us being children. The, father, the father-son relationship, us being son, him being father, daughter, father. Remember that? As obedient children. Remember that? Hey, Amen. Well, whenever you're led by the Spirit and you're obeying that truth through the Spirit, guess what? That just indicates again, that's a child. And they're my child. Why? Because they're listening to my voice about what to do. Everybody Okay. Amen. See all these things. See how, all this, see how that leans on other places in the verses that we've already been? Amen. And so we're being led. And note, you talk about the word led when you say, you know, well, they, they led me to the ditch. You know what that indicates? That you must have willfully followed somebody. <laughs> huh? <laughs> you know. For as many are led by the Spirit, that means you must be following then willfully, the Spirit. It didn't say being drugged by the Spirit, being driven by the Spirit. No, it said being led. So you had to follow. And so we're obedient children as a result of that. Now notice, we obey the truth that the Spirit that we have received, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, however instructs us in. And here's the verse of Scripture I want to go to. John 16, verse 13. It says, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will shew you things to come. So the spirit of truth that you receive, what? It leads you into all truth. Leads you. Follow. Obedient child. And as a result, the end result, purified soul with external evidences that the soul is purified. Everybody all right? Amen. So purity begins at new birth. Purity begins at being born again. But it's deepened or maintained throughout our Christian lives by continuing obeying the truth. So yes, Sister Sharon, ye are. You see, and ye are purifying your soul. Your obedience is the cooperation with God's instruction. You get that? You're both in on this. He gives the instruction. You give the obedience. End result. Boom. Purified soul. Amen. So we both, we have a hand in this. And not only that, consider this. Remember, this is written to largely a group of people that's suffering trials and they're suffering persecution. And, And yes, our trials seem to sometimes help purify us. But here's the thing. Whenever we submit to our trials, or let me use the O word again, whenever we're obedient, to the purpose of our trials. The key is obedience, folks. What this tells me is this, is no matter what the circumstances that are going on in my life, if I'll just remain obedient, whether it's high tide or low tide, whether the wind's blowing or whether it's calm, whether it's a fiery trial or everything's just joyous, if I'll just stay obedient to the truth in and out of all those circumstances, soul's purified accomplishes what God wants to get accomplished. That's how he can use a trial to do it, or he can just use the normalcy of life to do it. The key, though, is obedience. Amen. And that's what we've been chosen for as the elect from verse 2. That's what we've been chosen for as the church. So there's there's this movement here this evening. There's a natural movement here from talking about the purity of the soul and then going to the fact, if you look at verse number 23, he says, being born again. There's this movement, purity of the soul, and they're recalling about being born again. And just as a reminder, John 3 tells us concerning what being born again all encompasses. When Nicodemus talked to Jesus about being born again, and he was mistakenly thinking that it meant somehow, as an adult, getting back in his mother's womb and being born again of a natural birth, Jesus made it plain to him, unless a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus made it very plain what being born again was. But he says being born again, and here it is. He said of the incorruptible word of God. Here this is again. This incorruptible business is a big thing in chapter number one. The incorruptible word of God, because we've read about already uh, in incorruptible inheritance, speaking of heaven, We've read about not being redeemed with corruptible things, so it must be incorruptible things. A lamb that's without spot and without blemish. We talked about purified souls, which are souls that are not corrupted. Right? Amen. And so all of this guides us then and following the guides of an incorruptible word, which the word of God, the word conceives us, conception in our spiritual birth. The Bible says in John 17, 17, sanctify them. Through thy truth, thy word is truth. His word is truth, and it sanctifies or sets us apart. It makes us holy. It makes us holy. The word of God is so important to our lives whenever we are obedient. Let's consider some of the things concerning the word because we're going to be talking about it for just a little bit here tonight. Look, if you will, at verse number 23. This word that we are talking about, there's three things that are alliterated here for you. The word of God, number one, is pure. It's incorruptible, all right? It's pure. Number two, the word of God is permanent. He said in one verse that it abided forever. In another verse, he said it endure forever. The Bible says that even and he takes these verses of scripture right here in verse 23 and 24 really from isaiah because in isaiah he talks about how the grass may wither and the flower may fade but the word of the lord will stand forever amen As a matter of fact in psalms it talks about how the word abides forever and that it is forever settled it's forever settled in heaven So it is a permanent word. But also when you see the word liveth there in verse number 23, still speaking of the word which liveth and abideth forever, it is a practical word. In other words, the word of God is always up to date because it's a living word. This is not a dead book. It's a living book. How in the world possible? You know John 1 and 1 in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Is God dead? No. No. Then the word that he is. Is a living word. Amen. So it is up to date. It's relevant. It's not archaic. It's owed by human standards of how many years we've had it around here in our hands. But it's the eternal word. It knows neither beginning of days nor ending of days in reality. Because it is attached to equated with God. Amen. And so God's word abides forever. And here's the awesome thing about it then. If his word abides forever then those things that receive his word seem to have a certain eternality about them, an eternity, if you will, about them. I like what Clarence Sexton wrote in a book that I've read here just in this new year. He said, every word of the Bible was settled before any word of it was ever given to men to pen. Before the Holy Ghost moved upon men to write the words of the Scripture, as David said, it was forever settled in heaven before it ever became settled down here on earth. It was forever settled in heaven. That word. And he goes on to tell us that this word that he's talking about, if you look at verse 25, this word that he's talking about is the gospel that was preached unto you. This incorruptible, permanent, practical word is the word in which the gospel was preached to you, the gospel, as 1 Corinthians 15 explains, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through that word, those things were made known unto us, the preached word, the preached word. The Bible says, listen to this, Galatians 3 and verse number 2, Scripture's here tonight. These are questions, and the answer is known here. This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit, see that? And here's the options. By the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The answer that is rhetorical here is by the hearing of faith. He says in verse number 5 of the same chapter, he says, He therefore that ministereth to you the spirit and work of miracles among you, doth he it by the works of the law? Here's the rhetorical again. Or by the hearing of faith? Of course, by the hearing of faith, the answer to both of those that you receive the Spirit by the hearing of faith. The Spirit that's ministered to you comes by the hearing of faith. And we know then according to Scripture. This is just us compiling Scripture together. Romans 10 and verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing. huh? And hearing by what? The word of the Lord. That's how the gospel that was preached unto you can be the incorruptible seed that helped give you new birth. Someone hear me? It can give you new birth. That's you receive the spirit by hearing of faith and faith cometh by the preached word. This is just like A plus B equals C. (laughs) It's an incorruptible word. It's an abiding word. It's a living word. And the fancy thing is this. So it gives us an incorruptible living, abiding message. Look now, here we are. Let's spill over into chapter number 2. We're still talking about the word verses one through three. Wherefore, Peter says, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. He says, as newborn babes desired the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so, be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So we got a little bit of a cause and effect thing happening here. Right? Right? Slap the kid and they cry. Cause and effect. We Got a little cause and effect going on here. You smile a little too much there, Tyler, on that one. I don't know about that. <laughs> we might need to talk about this before you all get married. I'm just saying. <laughs> There's a cause and effect happening there. Having been born again by the word. Having been born again by the word, which we already seen in the last Chapter. We lay aside some things in chapter number one or in chapter number two in verse one. So we've been born again, and therefore we have laying aside. Wherefore, laying aside malice and guile and hypocrisies, envies and evil speakings. So the purifying of our souls that we had a hand in because we are obedient to the word. Purifying of our souls results in some things being laid aside. And let me just say real quickly that Peter wasn't trying to give us an exhaustive list just in verse 1. He wasn't listing everything like that was it. All right. But what he was giving us things that may affect then our love for the brethren because it's hard to have love among one another when there's malice among us, which is basically evil or wickedness. It's hard to have love toward the brethren whenever there's guile, which is basically deceit. It's hard to have love whenever there's hypocrisies and everybody's got a game face on. They're masking over who they really are or they're playing an act like on a on a on a stage of a player playing a role. But that's not who they really are. It's hard to have love among the brethren when there's envies, jealousies, wanting somebody else's goods. Their car, their house, their wife, their. Oh, well, I didn't really mean to go there, but. You saying we laying aside some things, the purity of the soul, evil speakings. Boy, that's a big one. It's hard to keep love among the brethren when there's a bunch of evil gibberish, yeah, slander, backstabbing. Yeah. Woo. yeah, I knew, I knew it wasn't raining today, but the water's getting high. <laughs> as long as it keeps the back dry, we're all right. <laughs> So he's talking about stuff that wouldn't put us in good standing with the brethren. Now look, 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 look at verse 2. Look at verse 2 because it leads as newborn babes. It leads with a figure of speech. We're in English class. As newborn babes. It's used, but what, what's, what Peter is doing here, and something I think that we have failed pray to, and me even personally over the years and time, so whenever I see as newborn babes, I'm thinking that Peter is addressing then newborn babes in Christ, but that's not necessarily the case. As a matter of fact, all these people in these different cities and locations that we begin with that he's addressing, they could be at all kinds of differing levels in their Christianity right now. All kinds of different levels of maturity that he's speaking to, including new Christians, but there could be some old Christians in that. But whenever he says, as newborn babes, he's using what's known in our our English language as a little simile. And I'll define it for you. This is straight from the dictionary, okay? I'm not lying to you. It means it is a figure of speech that makes a comparison showing similarities between two different things. And so there is a comparison here that is being made between newborn babes and Christians, regardless of whether they're new, old, middle-aged, what maturity level they're at. There's a similarity here. And here's the thing. They've been born again, yes, whether recently or not. Here's the comparison. The similarity is this, that all Christians... Regardless of your maturity level. New Christian, old Christian, 20-year-old Christian, 5-year-old Christian, 5-second Christian. That all Christians should desire and crave the word. Just like a newborn baby craves milk. In other words, and look at this. The very thing, look at verse 2. The very thing that those babes Desire is the very thing that aids in their growth. See, I make the mistake over years, Bishop, because my mind just automatically goes, well, that's talking about new Christians. No, 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 no. Any Christian, at whatever level, needs to have a craving and a desire for the Word. And having a craving and desire for the Word is what helps us grow. In our Christian experience, we grow. We spiritually grow by the word of God. So sometimes when we got to ask ourselves this question. We got to be honest with ourselves. You know, are we obeying in the truth? Huh? Because sometimes our stunted growth in our relationship with God might be linked to our diet. Figuratively speaking. Because hmm. the milk's going to help the baby grow and the word's going to help the Christian grow whoever he is in his age as being a Christian. And so if I'm having stunted growth in my Christian walk and experience, maybe my diet's been off kelter. Maybe I've been feeding on things. Maybe I've been feeding on things that are not helping me in my growth as a Christian. It's, isn't it hard to keep a good diet? Huh? Isn't it hard? It's like, My goodness, who put 10 pounds on the scales? But when you open your cabinets, you see ding-dongs and Twinkies and Debbie cakes and ice cream gallons that's a bit. What are you saying? Well, your your diet's kind of stunted your objective. Well, folks, the same, same scenario of analogy purposes happens in the realm of our spiritual growth. Man, I'm just not where I need or where I'd really like to be. Well, open your spiritual cabinet and see what you've been feeding on. What have you been reading? What have you been listening to? Where have you been going? What have you been feeding your mind with? Amen. (laughs) Because obedience, obedience to the word is going to help purify the soul, which in effect is going to help your conduct. Well, someone say amen. So being that our desire many times is tied to our appetite, Our appetite though might be a little squelched if we're already full. Whew. I don't know how many times you know sometimes you know you just get asked, Well aren't you hungry? It's like well I just ate, you know, so much long ago. Well, I made this good meal. I never usually ruin, ruin the meal that my wife's made by eating before it. But I'm just saying, well, I just made this great meal. You tell me you're not going to eat this? Well, I just ate something just a few moments ago. What am I saying? I'm so full that I really don't have an appetite, although that is a whole lot better than what I had five minutes earlier. Hmm. He's wanting us to feed Amen. Feed upon the word as a, as a new babe. I mean, that does, do you realize how much a new babe really likes milk? <laughs> it has like this internal alarm that goes off. Whether it's convenient or not convenient. And it's ready to go. And it knows where to find it. It knows where to find it. And whenever it's hungry, it's got this sucking reflex. Yeah. And if you're a man, you holding a child, that sucking reflex will kick in on that kid. It doesn't even care. But that's the reason why it needs some guidance. Well, I've seen it in my kids too many times. Amen. So we, we, we've got to pacify the, the appetite. We don't want to be too full of the things that are unnecessary so that we can't fill up on the things that are necessary that help our purity inwardly and outwardly, and our walk and our growing, you know, in the Lord. Amen. So we need to desire, we need to desire what will grow us. We need to desire the word of God. And again, there's no age limit to this of being a Christian. You can be a new Christian, an old Christian, doesn't matter. You just need to have that desire inside of you. And so he says that desire, the sincere. That's what he says, the sincere milk. Pure milk. You know, the amazing thing that the milk that comes from mom, the milk that comes from mom is regulated, of course, and by her diet. You probably ain't going to get anything. You're not going to get anything any better, any more pure than what comes from mom. But here's what he's speaking to in his generation and culture. In their world, consumers knew this. This was typical in the Greek Roman world, that they would oftentimes water down the milk or the wine that was sold. That was a common thing. To get diluted or watered down milk. It's with that background that Peter is speaking to them. Desired the sincere or the pure milk. In other words, what are you saying? You don't want a diluted down word. You don't want a watered down word. You want a word that comes directly from the source that has not been contaminated. What are you saying? Oh God. What I'm saying is we're living in a generation. We're living in a generation that Christians are growing up on a watered down word. We, we are living in a generation where men are preaching a diluted word. As a matter of fact, I would dare to say that there's less word in what they're saying than there is. Hmm? There's less word and more water. It's almost like they've diluted down the water with the word because there's more water in this that's going. He says, you need to desire the sincere, the pure. Uh, I just had a, a, a Lord help me. God, Sister Shay, you should have never said anything to me. But uh, so much so that things are coming back, talking about how here at the church we are. We are we, they actually preach the word of the Lord. They actually talk about the Bible rather than it being some inspirational speech with a few quotes from, you know, Mandela in there. And, you know, Benjamin Franklin. What are you saying? I'm saying, folks, I cannot hand you anything any better to grow by, to live your life by, to become a better Christian by than the very Word of God that begot you and birthed you and conceived you. If it was good enough to conceive us, it is good enough to nourish us. We don't have to water it down. We don't have to make it something that it's not. We don't have to make it easy for the tongue. No, this is the adulterated Word of God. It has no beginning. It has no ending. It's the Word, oh my Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have to have a secondary book I don't have to have a prayer book to give you a lesson out of I don't have to have a catechism to give you a lesson out I don't have to have all that this is the word of God this is God's thought this is God's expression amen so he says the sincere milk the pure milk not watered down, not contaminated. Here's, Lord, I almost found me a horse to ride here. People are duped into thinking that they're getting what they desire. I'm going for the word. They're duped into thinking they're getting what they desire until it's too late. And you know what happens Whenever it's too late? There's been an appetite then created them in them for the water down because that's what they've always tasted god help me and then that's the reason why everybody is looking out for a building a church a pastor something that suits them you hearing me that suits them i want this to suit me talk if you talk about it and it let me put in these if you're going to preach it and you're going to talk about it, but it don't taste right to me you hearing me? Why? Because they have had created inside of them an appetite for the diluted, an appetite for the watered down. You know, there's people today that they can eat generic everything. And that's okay, I guess, if that's you, if you've grown accustomed to that. But if you've sent certain things before me of what is this particular brand or the generic, I'm going to tell you, you know why? Because I have acquired a taste. I have acquired a taste, and I know the difference through the perception of my tongue. Mm -hmm. He said the sincere milk, the sincere, not diluted, not watered down. Amen. So there's importance then of this word. The importance of the word is not only seen then in us being born, right? The seed of the word. We're begotten. We're born again. You can see it there in verse number 23. The incorruptible incorruptible word that we are born again by, that incorruptible seed. So its importance is not only in us being born again, but it's also important then, as we see in verse number 2, it's important in our development, our growth. So like this. So the word really has two comparisons here. He compares it to a seed, and he compares it to milk. And so the word as a seed initiates our new way of life, But the word as milk sustains our new way of life. And when we talk about seed, and in that verse of Scripture, we talk about seed, we're talking about, you can talk about literal the planting of seeds, those type of seeds. But it is also this. There is a connotation to this word when we're talking about this seed, not just about what you put in the ground, but the seed of a man, you understand what I'm talking about, that's necessary for conception in the womb. And so the word of God is a incorruptible seed similar to the seed of man that's necessary to impregnate the womb. (laughs) So it did give us a conception of new life, the word of God. But when we understand that, look at this. Then we see it as the milk, as the milk that would come from a mother. So it's almost as though the word is displayed to us as being both a father and a mother unto us. Matter of fact, I almost called tonight's lesson. I'd like you to meet my parents. The word. But I didn't choose that one. I figured people would be trying to figure it out all along the way. And you wouldn't even hear a word I said. I thought it was Marilyn and Paul McGee. Because some of you probably went way over here, you know. But the word really plays a father and a mother to us. It is a father to us. Through the seed of conception. But it is our mother because it is the milk of the mother side of it that nourishes us after our birth. So the word conceives us and the word nourishes us. The word is the father because it brings the conception of the seed. Amen. For a new birth. But it is a mother because it is the milk that nourishes us after we're born. Thank God for his word. When's the last time you read your Bible? That's just a good question to throw in there at that point in time. <laughs> You're begotten by that preach. The gospel is preached to you by that incorruptible word, and it will continue to nourish you. So the word, it's, it's our parents, our father, our mother. You can look at that in a lot of different ways because you, you pick up the word sometimes, you pick up the word sometimes, and it corrects me. Now, Mom corrected me sometimes, but Dad was usually a whole lot more of the corrector than Mom. Mom laughs sometimes because <laughs> we could get her to laugh one more circle around the kitchen table that was Rebecca but nevertheless so the word corrects you sometimes but it also nourishes you sometimes you pick it up and sometimes it's encouraging you and other times it's instructing. see it's playing mother and father to you it's giving direction you, you hear its voice constantly in your, your ears I gotta hurry don't I Let's go. We're good. We're good. Don't get nervous. I'm not nervous. Mr. Schreiner said this. He said, the desire to grow springs from an experience with the Lord's kindness. The desire to grow springs from the Lord's kindness. An experience that leaves believers desiring more. That's verse number three. Look, he says, that ye may grow thereby. That's verse two. If so, be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So you're going to desire the sincere milk of the word of God you're going to grow. If so, be that you have tasted the Lord. In other words, you desire the milk of the word if you've tasted the Lord, which really are rendering here, the Greek language is really also, there's a tendency that it could be since you have tasted the Lord, you have this desire then for the word. Here's the amazing thing about me. I love, I love reading everything I read because you see everybody's just chaotic thinking. And sometimes I think they make it more complex than what it really is. And That is this. I was reading all kinds of different people and scholars and this one is arguing whether the milk that was being spoke of, Brother Zach, refers to the written or the preached word and then someone else is arguing whether or not the milk is referring to the Lord. Let me sum it up for you. It's referring to both. Because the Lord is the word. And the word is the Lord. Amen. I say both because they're one and the same. We've already been to John 1 and 1. We could go to other scriptures. But that word was God. When you've experienced the new birth of God, when you've experienced that new birth, that new spirit, you will desire him and him through his word. Because it is him. In other words, it's not just me obeying the truth as a word, but I'm obeying who the truth is, which is God. Both of these elements come to play. Uh, once again, what? We, 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 we sanctify them through thy word, thy truth. Thy word is truth. Okay, that's good. But Jesus also said, he said, I am the way. Huh? There's some people out there that know it, the truth and the life. No man coming to the Father but by me. So the truth that they obeyed in chapter 1, verse 22. It's not only just the obeying of the word. Say it like this. Truth is also a person. Jesus, and I am the way the truth. Truth is also a person. It's not just obeying the word, but it's obeying, amen, a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do these things, and you can stand with me 45 minutes, we're good. Don't want anybody. See, I didn't use this to begin with. I just thought, though, in case I seen a puzzled face, which I probably missed one or two of you. So, Obedience to the word. That's really where this, this whole thing comes around. There are really two imperatives that we had in both these sections. Number one was an imperative to love, love our brethren. But that only happens, can happen, if we're obedient to the word. Purifying souls in obeying the word through the spirit. The other imperative of the second, the second uh, section was really calling us to desire or to crave, but again, that requires the Word. The Word. And so, Peter, his voice for Christians of every age, and, and not just speaking the age as far as centuries, but also maturity and age, however long you've been a Christian and not been a Christian, the Word plays a very integral part, or at least should, in our lives. The weather's going to be coming here. No. <laughs> My phone went off. <clears throat> if we embower our heads here this evening, Obedience to the word. So if the Holy Ghost came to them that obeyed, and that's what the scripture said, if you ever learn anything then about repentance, baptism in Jesus' name and the filling of the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you tonight that it is vitally important to be obedient to what you learn. Amen. Because there will be some things that will manifest then in your own life by virtue of obedience to what you know. Obedience to what you know. And whenever we come to settings like this and we start to teach, what we are doing is broadening what you know. And what that does, what that does is demand. It demands then a greater obedience because you know more tonight than what you did before you walked into this place. Amen. But all that is going to do is help you in your growth pattern. Your growth pattern. Thank you for listening.